0: in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost. amen. Today we begin that long stretch of Sundays after Trinity and the gospel gives us a kind of abrupt mood change from the last few weeks where we had ascension and pentecost and trinity which were rather sort of spiritual themes to reflect on on larger truths. Today we get a very concrete story of the rich man and Lazarus where all this faith that we have meditated on in in the feasts of Christmas through Trinity or Pentecost and Trinity now come to fruition in kind of a concrete story. How do we treat someone lay who's sitting at our gate in, in daily life? So it sort of brings the revelation to home in a concrete way. Lazarus is a sort of a challenge because it forces us to ask a question. If we look at this story, a rich man, Lazarus, laid at his gate to whom he didn't respond, It leads us to ask, where is Lazarus? And if we hear it rightly and are filled with uh, guilt as we tend to be in our culture, we can be moved to meet every charitable need we ever come in touch with on fear that we might, like the rich man, end up in a scorching southern climate. Yet experience teaches us that it is not that easy We can't draw so simple a conclusion from the story. If you have been around homeless populations, you realize many are well trained in the art of manipulation and merely giving money to things doesn't solve the problem. So we can't answer the The challenge presented by Lazarus simply by giving a bunch of money away every time somebody comes upon us. Yet, there is Lazarus, and however we work the story, we clearly cannot walk away from it by ignoring him. The first thing we have to understand is the morality of the story, which is foundational to biblical morality. This story is rooted in the creation narrative that... Man is made in the image of God. And so therefore, Lazarus bears the image of God. And in the Jewish tradition, which we inherit as Christians, therefore, how you treat people who are made in the image of God reflects your esteem for God. And You can't separate this. You can't say, as St. John tells us, I love God, but hate my brother. This truth is heightened in the New Testament by the teaching that we are born again in the image of Christ. And so each of us in the church bears the image of Christ, and therefore we can never say, I love Jesus, but then hate a brother, as Jesus uh, said in, in Matthew, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. That's a teaching highly rooted in Genesis. Genesis. We're made in the image of God and therefore how we treat each other reflects how we treat and how we respond to God. One problem we have in understanding the story is that our definition of poverty is always monetary in our day. Thus we look at this story as though Lazarus was the poor man, but Things, as it turns out, were exactly the opposite as it appeared to be. The rich man's wealth was thought to be a blessing. He was thought to be full. Turns out, as we see what happens, the consequence of that kind of life extended out into eternity, turns out it was a curse. The poverty of Lazarus was thought to be a sign of God's disfavor. It ended up being his salvation. Thus, in one of the many reversals of this story tells us, the rich man was poor and the poor man was rich. The role of the gate in the story is worthy of reflection. I think it'd be, it's a real gate. And for us, we can see it as sort of an image. The gate was intended to keep evil away from the rich man. Instead, it kept the rich man from God by cutting him off, providing a barrier from the real needs that were around him. And these real needs around him were meant to connect him to the presence of God in his life. and so he, But he kept them at bay because he lived comfortably behind a gate so he never had to interact with those, those things. We can reflect on material prosperity. It can be a kind of Gate or fence that cuts us off from God's presence in the world around us. It can cause us to withdraw into comfort and thus not be attuned to, connected with, interacting with the reality of the world around us. And this can happen at various levels of economic wealth. It can happen with mere ordinary comfort. This is why prosperity must always lead us to generosity. The more we have, the more we must always learn to give. The fundamental error of our time is to see wealth as something to accumulate, and store for our own account. When we are given, we must learn to give. The more we keep it for our own account, the more we've lost sight of the fact that it's a gift. It's a funny thing that happens with wealth. We we understand we're stewards, but the more we get, the more you say, oh. That's why it's harder sometimes, somebody who makes, you know, $1,000 easy to tithe, $100. Someone makes a million, well, tithing $100,000, and all of a sudden, it changes like that. It changes the way we look at it. This is also true, not just of money, but of our personal giftedness. If God has given us gifts, we talk a lot about spiritual gifts and talents. These aren't to be used for our own account, just to make us you know, grow intellectually. We're to find out how these gifts that we've been given are to be used to invest in others, And the fullness and richness of our life will depend upon our generosity in every circumstance. If we live, if we allow the things we have been given to create a fence that cuts us off, we withdraw into ourselves and become poor, though we may appear to be rich. But if we invest in others with that which God has given us, we become rich in giving. As our Lord said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So the challenge of the gospel, I think, is not to let our wealth and comfort cut us off the needs around us. And if we look at it this way, the needs around us in our lives are not things, oh no, how am I going to meet this? They're actually God calling us out of ourselves into relationships with other people. This Action, this investing, this going beyond our comfort into needs and into relation with other people, reenacts the incarnation. As St. Paul says somewhere, Jesus, though he was rich, became poor for our sake. He came down from heaven, came down from the place of eternal comfort and fullness to give himself for us. And so we reenact that incarnation when we take what God has given us and enter into those situations around us where there are real needs and invest ourselves in them. And when we do that, like Christ, we end up richer, not poorer. Another meditation is that Lazarus was at the rich man's gate. And we often think, when we say, what should we do, we often think of how we're going to solve the problem of world hunger or problems, distant problems overseas or some conceptual thing. We can be overwhelmed by this, but also the reality we can't do anything about those things. But we can do something about those things we encounter every day. We... So Lazarus's condemnation was not that he didn't solve world hunger, or excuse me, the rich man's condemnation was not that he didn't solve world hunger, It's he ignored that particular need right there. And so as we go about life, we should think primarily about the needs that are right there before us. We see these needs in our own family, in the offices where we work as we go about life. And if we're more attuned to that outward orientation what is needed here? And a lot of times it's not, it's not primarily money. One of our problems we have in our culture is we think money solves everything. We value it, so we think if we give it, we solve the problem. Most of the things, the way we give ourselves, are relationally. Connecting with people. Getting to know them. Having them get to know us. And then, if the th- you look back at our story, Rich Man of Lazarus, had that happened... Lazarus needed the rich man because he was hungry. The rich man needed Lazarus to pull him out of his isolation from others and from God. And if we see life this way, we'll see the needs around us not as bothersome detours from the things we have to go do to make money, but the presence of God to remind us to stop and, and see Christ in those ordinary things. And this, we've talked for a few weeks about religious about, about faith as experience. This is our this is what we understand as Sacramento is our primary way we experience Christ daily is through his presence in others. And we're in the feast of Corpus Christi, which is the feast where we celebrate it was when the octave of that it was last Thursday, we, we remember the sacrament, the body of Christ. We we have a feast day to honor that. And what sacramental vision teaches us is that the same sacrament we receive at the altar, the body of Christ, that same mystery is present in the person sitting next to us. That is the body of Christ, and this is the body of Christ. If we actually took that seriously as we live through life every day, it would transform the way we experience life. So experiencing the presence of Christ in others is the way we experience our faith, day by day. So, meditation, just to remember how we create gates in our lives that cut us off from real needs. We think sometimes we withdraw into comfort and it keeps us from the problems of the world, but often it simply cuts us off from other people and from God. As St. John tells us in the epistle, He that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.